Every generation of Centauri mourns for the golden days when their power was like unto the gods. I have a destiny to fulfill. What were you thinking? You can't fight a duel to the death. You know, VM, you have what the others call a negative personality. saw a whole chorus line of purple wombats doing show tunes in my bathtub. Of course, I was pretty drunk at the time. Hello, and welcome to Who Are You? A Babylon 5 watchcast by a couple of former strangers, now friends, who are getting to know each other over one of their favorite shows from their childhood, Babylon 5. I am Laura. And I'm Jafar. And today we're doing something different. We're doing something different. And we're just going to talk about how excited we are for Star Trek Las Vegas which is a trip we are both making. By the time this episode airs, we'll be back from it. Mm -hmm. Back to real life. But we're recording it before we go with the anticipation of the event still high on our minds. I am really, really, really looking forward to this. I know we talked about it a little bit last episode too. So dear listener, if this is too much of us geeking about going to a Star Trek convention, <laughs> what are you doing listening to a Babylon 5 podcast? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe find a different hobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited too. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I'm packing and what I'm going to do each day and planning my time and, you know, finding outside of Star Trek things to do too. I'm going to be a well-rounded person. That's my intent. And I'm going to do some other okay. Vegas things, <laughs> you know, as one does. Yeah, I have every intention of putting a nice suit on and going and playing a single hundred dollar hand of blackjack. Oh, my God, I want to be there. Can I can I go? <laughs> that is that is the extent of the gambling I want to do. Uh -huh. I'm going to go play exactly one hand of hundred dollar blackjack. I'm going to have a nice suit on. Beth has bought a cocktail dress. Oh, fancy. Explicitly for this. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and we're just going to go and do that at some point. Um, Just live like I'm in a spy movie for about 45 seconds and then call it good. That's fun. I love to watch other people play games. I don't I don't play games myself very well as a very, you know, I'm an accountant, so I'm a very risk-averse person. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not very good at gambling. It's not something I enjoy. But I like to watch other people. That's fun. Yeah, I have, I have no interest in gambling. Mm -hmm. Just at all but i i'm in las vegas i will do the thing for the sake of doing the thing yeah have you ever played craps like you know the, the, one of those charity events where you have fake gambling for charity reasons yes i have played craps at that exact situation uh -huh. actually <laughs> yep i i really am fascinated by craps but i'm terrified of the idea of playing craps with actual money <laughs> <laughs> I went to a university in a town that had a casino mm -hmm. and I went and walked the floor a number of times. I went and gambled exactly twice. <laughs> My like second week on campus as a freshman, I went and played $5 worth of slots. I won $75 Ooh. and that was that. That's early 2000s money, right? Stopped. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bought a couple CDs. <laughs> right. I immediately went to the mire down the street, the 24-hour shop, and bought a couple CDs. Oh, boy, those were the um, days. Yeah, and uh, that was it until a number of years later, 
I was there for some reason and I'm like, you know, roulette has always intrigued me. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I played roulette for maybe like 15 minutes and I think I lost like $10. Yeah. I fe- I don't have good feelings about roulette. Like I don't know anything about probability and odds folks. So you mm-hmm. math whizzes out there could probably run right over me, but I feel like the odds in roulette aren't great. Like I feel like it's mathematically stacked against you, but that's well, no research. <laughs> Yeah, so you don't just, like, whenever you see roulette in pop culture, it's almost always putting money on a single number. Mm-hmm. That's a bad idea. Which is the, that's the worst way to play roulette. Right. You can also bet on color, uh-huh. or uh-huh. you can bet on thirds of the board, or you can kind of split up amongst a group of numbers and do things. There's a lot of different ways to bet. Yeah, and you can um, spread your odds a little bit, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so... That said, it was just like, eh, you know, it wasn't a, I don't, I didn't consider it a worthwhile experience, but you know, the Vegas, I'll play poker with friends, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, like pay maybe like five, everyone throws in like five, 10 bucks or something right? for the people who need that to feel alive. <laughs> um, I'll just pay my ten dollars and not care i just like the joy of winning but yeah yeah (laughs) i like to not be the first one out but i also never take it seriously enough to do well Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things uh because taking it seriously is not fun for me right so yeah well i can't wait to see what we get up to i'm sure it's gonna be fun yeah i'm sure there will be tropical drinks yes uh, by a pool Mm mm-hmm the infamous Coco No-Nos. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. It'll be fun. Yeah. And hopefully uh, this five minutes of rambling was enough of a cold open. But if it wasn't, I did want to have, before we get into the episode, a quick note about the episode order. All right. Give us some, some notes. So HBO Max has Knives then in the shadow of Zaha Doom. Mm-hmm. Correct. This is actually fixing a mistake from the original air order. Oh, There is a thread placed in this episode that's picked up in the next episode, but because of the CGI effects, they got reversed in air order. Really? Okay. I I haven't watched the following episode yet, so I can't wait to pick up that thread. Well, it will be when we read the episode description for next episode. Oh, is it in there? It will. It's in there. So I don't have to wait long then. Nope. Good deal. So this episode opens on Sheridan playing baseball. Oh, yeah. What is it with these deep space captains and their love of baseball? I want to know what the hell is going on. Love yours. Come, never got me a damn thing. Don't turn your back on me. Don't you even try to walk away from me. Just who the hell do you think you are? If you have something to say to me, say it. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. That's enough! I think it's that that 90s sci-fi. We really like our boxing and we really like our baseball. (laughs) Yeah. So this is in the center of the station. Yeah. Because we see the big hollow empty Mm -hmm. on the baseball diamond, right? You might be asking yourself, isn't this station spinning to generate its artificial gravity? Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Wouldn't this be the place where gravity would be the weakest at the edge inner edge of the spin because it has the least amount of motion Hmm. (laughs) you might be asking yourself is it even possible to play baseball here 
Mm-hmm. Wouldn't the balls just be flying all over from the spin of the station? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> or Oh, sorry. This is not spinning the slowest. It's spinning the fastest. Does that mean there's more gravity? Wait. I don't know. Um, I would ask you. Crap. <laughs> I'm going to have to go consult with my experts. <laughs> We already know I don't I don't understand physics and gravity. I I ruined myself in the other episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> the answer to these questions is technically but not feasibly. The way the gravity works with the rotations, yeah. hitting a ball straight on would be incredibly difficult. Mm. The the pitch would have to compensate for the spin apparently, even though it's spinning as well, but it's still all that stuff. It's like throwing a ball out of a moving car. <laughs> if you've ever done that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds hard. And so JMS actually checked into this and was told as such. Uh-huh. And decided that if it could theoretically happen that a Sheridan could hit a couple home runs, even though it, statistically speaking, that was unnervingly unlikely, that he would do it because it was fun. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Sheridan would absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. That's our guy. I do think that this is a cool effect. You know, we've got this baseball diamond, I guess, a whole diamond, or maybe it's just a green. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unlike some other shows that would just kind of cop out and have it just be outside, <laughs> we we do get some CGI that shows us we are in the station. So Sheridan's had a bad day. He spent eight hours at a meeting. Garibaldi tries to one-up him on his bad day. Because he spent eight hours in the spooky zone. Gray Secta. B5 Triangle. Mm-hmm. This is the first we're hearing about mysterious happenings in Gray Sector, but it won't be the last. No. But Sheridan loves some spooky shit. He's ready to get off there and go do something stupid by himself, preferably. Yeah. Yeah. The way captains do. Yeah, he says something incredibly insensitive. And then uh, we cut to Lando and Veer singing opera. Oh, so yeah, this opera argument that they're having, um, I found this extremely relatable. I've seen many people do this. <laughs> uh, I just love this. I love this scene. Uh, I, this is how people that some people that I know will like argue about their favorite tenor or, you know, mm -hmm. Puccini versus Faraday. And then they sing so nice together. They sing yeah. their little duet. And it's just so believable. And they just pull it off perfectly. A hundred percent. I mean, I have had this argument about Carly Rae Jepsen <laughs> in comparison to any other pop artist. We stand our queen. <laughs> mm -hmm. But also, I guess uh, Peter Jurassic's dad was in town when they were filming this episode. Oh, yeah. And his dad is a big opera buff. Aww. And so he actually helped him and was playing him stuff to help him get his voice right and everything and helped him practice a ton. Oh, that's so cute. I love to hear right. that. Oh. Fun little story from the episode season guide book I picked up. They really lean hard into the like Italian sort of yeah. aesthetic of the Centauri in this one. Because it's sort of, sometimes it's like pseudo-French. Sometimes it's a little Italian. Sometimes it's a little yeah. other European. We've leaned hard on the Italian button for, for this one. <laughs> for sure. I mean, the Centauri borrows so much from Rome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Culturally that uh, it makes sense that they would be into the Italian opera. Yeah. 
It's super cute. And then, you know, they, they wrap up their little duet and Londo is accosted from behind by a hooded figure. Yeah, we get in a quick assassination attempt to see. <laughs> we love assassination attempts on this show. <laughs> yeah, good old murder to seem. It's been a while. <laughs> it's an oldie, but a goodie. But you know what? Uh, it's actually a fake out. Yeah, surprise. It's an old friend. And Londo just got punked or whatever the Gen Z version of that is. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, you're joking. It's um, one of Londo's <laughs> college buddies. Yeah, we meet a vocator Urza Jato whose brother Mishra is just in over his head. Oh, yeah, no, that is that is a Magic the Gathering joke for, like, two people. Don't worry okay. about it. Okay, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to get better about, like, if I don't totally pick up your joke, get some more yeah. info out of you, because I, I want to... No, that's, that's just meant for the people who will enjoy it, and I've made my one, and I won't make another one for the rest of the episode. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. What do you think the title Vocator means? Honestly, the, I misheard it as Vindicator <laughs> at first and had to, like, rewind. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a pretty rad title. <laughs> yeah. Vindicator is probably a little more um, aggressive than whatever the vocator is doing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's he's a government something, at least, right? He's got some sort of pull. He does something, yeah. Theoretically. But they're going to have some Bravari do a catch-up chat. Mm -hmm. Urza's got some stuff to do first, but he's going to come by, swing by later. Sheridan goes poking around Gray Sector, and he finds a gravely injured alien mm -hmm. and tries to sell security before he gets got. Yeah. Franklin confirms it was just a twitch or some gases moving around the body. Yeah, the old, the old gas buildup. Yeah, as uh, Garibaldi gives us another reason to yell ACAP. Oh my gosh, Garibaldi can't pronounce ethnic names. He He pulls that... And then Franklin instantly, like, shows him up. It just... And then he says, Gensuntite. <laughs> like, he sneezed when he pronounced the name. Rude as fuck. Oh, yes, yes. This sure plays different now than it did then, huh? <laughs> yeah. You can tell how the dominant powers are shifting a little bit in our society in the last 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sheridan wants to go check out the dead guy's stuff. With Garibaldi. Yeah. Uh, he has this weird visual thing for a moment. Mm -hmm. His eyes get weird in what I can only describe as a Windows 311 screensaver. Oh, that's better. I was going to call it a migraine aura, but that might be a, <laughs> a little too too real. Yeah. So he's got a screensaver going on, uh, and that makes him think twice. He's He needs to go get some rest. Mm -hmm. He's just had a big spook. We cut to Londo opening up his safe. To get a bottle of the good stuff out. Please tell me you put one of these in your kitchen that you just remodeled. <laughs> a safe? You need no. an alcohol vault. <laughs> I have one. It's called my basement. Oh, well, but you don't get to um, open that up from the... Yeah, that's fine, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's bigger that way. Back in Londo's quarters. He explains that he and Urza were childhood friends. There hasn't been allies since the early days of the Republic. Mm -hmm. He also explains that in Dueling Cubs, you get fighting names. Mm -hmm. Can confirm. <laughs> um, do tell. Do I've tell. had a number. I've had a number of them over the years. Um, so most of them have been like my LARP character names, mm -hmm. which count-ish. Uh, <laughs> but then I also have been a member of like a HEMA club. Right. Which is effectively a dueling and training club, very similar to what this feels like it was. Right. For them. And I had a fighting name there too. They affectionately referred to me as Flamingo. Oh, funny. 
Do tell. Uh, because I have a tendency when I am fighting and I, instead of doing a like strong forward lunge, I will do a like semi-defensive lunge and pivot forward and post up on one leg <laughs> and my other leg will fall back to balance as I swing forward. Uh-huh. And this has been described as looking like a flamingo. <laughs> so that is where the nickname comes from. I think that is a very good nickname. I like it. I compared this whole thing to, because I, I went with the college metaphor to, uh, you know, he's explaining the fraternity rules. So we find out that his nickname was Paso Leati because he fought like a madman. And well, I think Leatis are animals, oh, right? Oh, okay. And Paso is crazy. So there we go. Fought like a crazy Liati. And uh, Urza was Skultura or Silent Beast mm-hmm. for his fighting style. When I was in college, we uh, we made up a fraternity. <laughs> yeah. Some of us that were all honors students on the honors floor of our dorm. Okay. We called ourselves Kai Iota, which is X I, because we were the eleventh floor of the dorm, okay. <laughs> and we actually had shirts made. <laughs> and some of the other fraternities didn't love that. Uh, yeah, but we had shirts made, and my uh, name on the back of mine was Amazon, since I'm kind of tall. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, yeah, it's a universal college experience. If you haven't had it yourself, <laughs> you relate to others who have. So cool. That's fun. They drink out of some ridiculous goblets. It looks hard that when they're drinking out of these goblets. They're two-handed goblets, and they look like they are trying not to spill and it's just yeah very very funny it's good it cuts when it does i want to make goblets like this <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous i'll put it on my to-do list yeah let us know <laughs> anyway sheridan is dozing on his couch in his quarters yeah. trying to sleep off his bad trip he's on mm-hmm. he wakes up to the sound of some growling and we see yeah. a pretty good cgi monster yeah, it's, it's like a little dinosaur thing. Mm-hmm. Little flying dinosaur dragony thing. It is a Grylor. Yeah. We find out from Jano 7, which if you recall, is the planet that Dr. Franklin's dad is the scourge of. When they list off all of his titles, he's the scourge of Jano 7. I didn't catch that. That's a nice tie-in though. I was all like, did I hear that right? And rewound it. And then I checked the Babylon 5 wiki, and it's actually not listed in the Babylon 5 wiki. Somebody should edit that. (laughs) So I will not be that person. Oh, that's half the fun of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we know. I sat there. I sat there for five minutes, and I learned something about myself. (laughs) I am not a person who's going to edit and add things to the Babylon 5 wiki. (laughs) Well, now we know something about Dr. Franklin's dad that... He must be pretty badass if he's the scourge of the planet where these things come from. Right. I want to hear that story now. Right. I mean, probably not. It's probably terrible. Involves the deaths of many non-military personnel or just the deaths of many things in general. And Mm. I really am not that interested in that. But hypothetically. Yeah. (laughs) I'm interested in this story. Uh, Sheridan's really freaked out. He fires off his PPG at this monster. Garibaldi just happens to be in the neighborhood. And shows up really quick. Garibaldi makes kind of an insensitive joke about how he used to see things too when he was drunk. And Sheridan doesn't buy it. I think that's also fallout from the ISN episode. 
to be perfectly honest. Okay. Garibaldi makes a couple of references. There's a couple of references. Actually, Franklin makes one too here to uh, Sheridan losing his mind. <gasps> and everyone kind of like pokes a little bit of fun at him about it. Yeah. And I think it's because on, mm-hmm. on, on their CNN or whatever, he was just like, well, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. <laughs> and then literally two weeks later, he's going insane. Mm-hmm. I think I think everyone is aware of the comments and bleeding in. Yeah, yeah. Apparently the Marcab who we found dead bashed his own head in, which does seem like sh- like Sheridan could be in some danger, y'all. <laughs> yeah. He's a little shaken, but he goes to work anyway. Yeah, his bioscan was clean, just like Sheridan's we find. Mm-hmm. Over at Londo's, Urza gets heated about a conspiracy. Involving starting a war with the Narn, killing the Prime Minister, and making Cartagia Emperor. And Lando's like, what? Who? If you knew, you'd tell me, right? Like, if you knew knew what was going on with this conspiracy, you'd say something. But you don't know. You don't know. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But, I mean, if you did know, you'd say something, right? Like, you know, you'd tell me. You'd say it. Yes. And Urza is all... I'm bringing it up because my family is about to be named traitors. Yeah. This whole thing is very awkward and sad. They're going to be declared traitors. Londo just seems to genuinely want to help, even though he is very quiet-lipped mm-hmm. about any knowledge he has about the aforementioned, you know, assassinations and stuff. But Urza just says, I want you to stand beside me. You know, I'm going to yeah. try to save my family. And uh, Londo agrees without really thinking any of this through (laughs) yeah he'll do it he'll uh stand by his house and dismiss these accusations before they happen yeah so urza's gonna throw a big party to celebrate their alliance over in cnc ivanova feels it's too quiet as a shuttle arrives and sheridan's vision gets all fucky again as he sees anna's ship explode in front of him off of the station which just worries everyone yeah frankly it's a little concerning uh he starts demanding people to scan that area of space but nobody saw this hallucination so we he leaves rather awkwardly and he he does at least go straight to med lab so he goes to talk to franklin about his problems uh this is probably a conversation they should have had after he fired a gun in his quarters yeah you know yeah (laughs) but franklin's still he can't find anything wrong this is where he makes his little crack about, you know, you got to be a little crazy to be in charge, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But he does admit that it's possible Sheridan got like a virus that they can't detect. Or yeah. he's having some stress suffering that's causing these yeah, hallucinations. Like, yeah, it could be some virus, some new, some newfangled virus, because <laughs> those come around every Every once in a while, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some new virus comes out and we don't know what's going on and the medical community doesn't really know how to react at first. Mm-hmm. We def- but it's probably just stress, you big old stressed out dummy. <laughs> medical leave. <laughs> we definitely don't need to keep you here under quarantine. <laughs> nope. Nope. I want you to go out and relax and see as much of the station as possible. I didn't even catch that until you started saying it. And I was like, oh, wait, that's really stupid. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's counterproductive. We all know better now, don't we? Anyways, Lando reaches out to Lord Rifa, who's all like, you're hanging out with that traitor? Does anyone know you're hanging out with that traitor? Yeah. And Lando's all like, fuck you, dude. 
I don't need you. You need me. And you're going to fix this. I mean, he is really fucking right. Like he is. The the only reason the Centauri had their victories in the first place was Londo's connection with the shadows. I don't understand mm-hmm. where Rifa thinks he gets off here uh, yeah. with threats like, well, why would you cling to the code of a traitor? He might take you down. It's like, no, what do you have without Londo, Rifa? Really? Really? What do you have? Right. Very bad play. Mm-hmm. Londo asks for a drink and more information about what's going on back home. And then Sheridan's back at the diamond and only hitting foul balls this yeah, time. Yeah, he's doing bad this time. We had some homers in the first one. We had lots of fair mm-hmm. balls. Now we're just fouls everywhere. Yeah, clearly distracted. Bruce Boxlitner is a method actor and mm-hmm. went for the heaviest bat possible uh, per the season guide, just like when he was swinging the giant pipe around in that sword fight against the Narn. Mm-hmm. He purposefully exerted himself for the scene. He did it again here. Yeah, he's real sweaty. <laughs> yep. He's also wearing some Chicago Cubs gear. Oh. His hat is a hat uh, from the Agamemnon, like how most, like you'd see a Navy hat from someone sure. who served on a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, it's exactly like that, but for the Agamemnon. That's cute. Uh, but his shirt is a uh, Chicago Cubs shirt, Oh. which is his hometown and his favorite team, the actor. Oh, that's very nice. Bringing in the home touch. Mm-hmm. Garibaldi comes back to interrupt batting practice and yeah. it tells him that the Markab came in through Sector 14, which we know Ooh. is the home of Babylon Squared. Sheridan's never heard of it, which I thought was interesting. I know Garibaldi gives us this, um, well, all the records were confiscated, but there were a yeah. lot of people that came back and went back to their lives. How did we not yeah. hear about that? <laughs> Well, I mean, it wasn't a fully staffed station. They managed to evacuate it in, what is it, like, it's like 100 people or something. Yeah, that's it's still like a lot. It's like 10 or 12 shuttle runs, I think, mm-hmm. from the episode without checking. You'd... It's 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 a non, it's definitely like more than 50 people, but under like 250 people. Like, yeah. it's enough people where you could witness protect these people. Okay, I don't know. I'm not sure I'd buy it. Also, sure, he's been out on the rim, you know, mm-hmm. like he was out doing stuff, so he might not be the sure. most up to date. Sure, sure, sure. But Garibaldi has made a copy of everything for him so he can go watch Babylon Squared and figure out what's going on. Yeah, he's going to watch the episode mm-hmm. uh, after this to notes up. Hopefully our recap um, is in there, too. <laughs> yeah. We go to some Centauri like dance club. Yeah. Is where Urza's banquet is at. Love these props. Love this. uh decadent yeah. ballroom that they've got there just ready for Centauri needs at any time. Yeah. Lando sits down and he's all like, look, I got this. I called my boy Rifa. And hers is all like, Rifa, what madness are you involved in? Gotta get one in every time. Uh, <laughs> Londo's like, he's a bro. And Urza's like, fuck that guy. He's the one who talks shit in the first place. You're in on it. Mm-hmm. Urza tells Londo that you cannot build an empire on slaughter and deceit. But what my theory presupposes is maybe they all are. <laughs> uh, great maker. It was good to be a Centauri then. 
every last one, perhaps. Yeah, I think maybe what he means is like you can't build a lasting empire on slaughter and deceit. But I'm pretty sure there are lots yeah. of empires that have been built on slaughter and deceit, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Urza gives Londo a sword, mm-hmm. which Londo refuses. And then he uses that sword to challenge Londo to a fight to the death. Yeah. Londo takes the gift and the challenge. He says, in the spirit, they are presented or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, surely at this point, Londo understands the plan, right? He doesn't, but he will. Yeah. Sheridan's having a really bad tinnitus day, and he sees his parents randomly. Mm-hmm. He leaves without as mobile as Franklin calls instead of texting like a normal person. <laughs> and then he decides to take a Star Fury out for a spin. Yeah. He's just going to go out for he, using his command override mm-hmm. for no reason. Lando shows up and reminds uh, Urza to never bet against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> yeah, he does remark that his life is on the line and he doesn't want to kill Urza. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know that he asks Urza later why he made him do this. But I was like, oh, at this point, he knows. He knows what he's doing, really. He's, yeah. he's asking why out of like desperation and he wants confirmation, I guess, but he knows what needs to happen, mm-hmm. I think. So after this, they change into their fencing gear. Yeah. Tell us about their fencing gear. Yeah. I've got a bunch of notes about their fencing gear. Mm. Let's nerd out. Yeah, let's nerd out. So I, I've established my credentials. Uh, I feel like I've talked about it a bunch at this point. And also I've like made clothes to fight in. Mm-hmm. And also I've got various like different periods and cultures clothing to fight in. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I know a bit about this. I wouldn't, I'm not by no means like an expert. Uh, I don't have like a master's degree in medieval construction, like some of my friends. Uh, <laughs> but I, I have some things to say here. So I want to say Urza's fencing clothes are actually incredibly practical. Okay. Points, points for practical. Yeah. If you're not going to wear protective gear, which you should always. But it's a fight to the death, so maybe that's the point. Sure, right, yeah. But even then, there are things you would want to do, and they do take a little bit of precaution. They wear, like, looks like oven mitts for gauntlets. They have, like, very heavily padded gloves Mm -hmm. that bulk out their hands and forearms a lot. That would make sense from a fight to the death perspective, because Mm -hmm. a blow to the hands will end a fight, but it will not end a fight with someone dead. Yeah, right. So that's that's a solid play there. But they're wearing very loose, baggy clothing. Yes, they are. Which is perfect. You don't want anything that's going to restrict your movement. Okay. The only time you should ever consider wearing anything that will restrict your movement is when it's literally going to save your life to wear it. Got it. Especially when you're fighting. They're fighting with smaller swords with very exaggerated blades. Yeah. These are really thick blades. They're massively thick blades. Yeah. In all dimensions. Swords are a lot lighter than most people realize. A like four foot, five foot sword, if you actually go to a museum and like weigh a historically appropriate sword, only going to weigh like two and a half, three pounds most of the time. Okay. Blades are very thin and they're balanced well. These are so large and ridiculous. There's no way you could balance them. Mm -hmm. And based off their design, I would guess they're mostly meant for stabbing instead of slashing. Right. Right. Usually when you've got a giant exaggerated point like that, that's what it's for. Sure. I could see that. They spend most of their time slapping their swords. I'll get into that later. (laughs) But yeah, the super baggy clothing, besides not restricting your movement, 
also kind of adds a layer of very light protection okay. uh, because a blade could get caught in the loose fabric and actually get pulled away from you. So it could tangle a blade and actually save your arm, even though it's not a like piece of armor. Yeah. Better than nothing. Not not what I would recommend. And if you yeah. asked me to dress for a sword fight, not what I would wear. Right. But better than nothing. I like the little bow they do to each other at the beginning of this. Yeah, I've got a bit about this too, actually. Okay. Uh, ceremonial salute. Uh, <laughs> almost every club or dueling society has their own. Some of them, there's a lot of very simple, especially in the European cultures, it's very common to raise a sword's cross guard to your lips. Yeah. Um, mimicking kissing a crucifix. Yeah, we've seen that before in movies and TV and stuff. Sure. Yeah, that's that's probably the most common just basic salute. But there are infinitely more complex salutes from individual clubs doing their own things to more formalized salutes like Sinclair's salute with five guards, mm -hmm. which is a historical Scottish Claymore salute. Uh, where it's effectively a small demonstration that you've been trained in sword fighting. There's practice cuts. There's a, like the name goes, you go through five different guards. So by demonstrating this, you're showing that you are at the very least a trained sword fighter. It's not something that just someone could do or know how to hold a sword necessarily, because it's not just a like sword in front of you guard. You've got hanging guards. You've got overhead guards, stuff like that. So they fight. And it's terrible. Um, <laughs> it's overly telegraphed. Yeah. Urza kicks Lando's sword at one point. It's, it's bad. The one thing they do to correct, which is rotate around each other, mm -hmm. kind of back yeah. and forth. They don't just go in one direction. That's 100% something that happens in most duels that don't have a strict rule set that prevents it or you're very specifically fighting on a ship where you can't. Which <laughs> right. is a whole other set of sword fighting training you might learn how to do. Whole other thing. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of sword slapping. They just kind of slap at each other, which is very strange. <laughs> when I started learning actual sword fighting, like not not the LARP, not not the for funsies, but like actual sword fighting. My instructor one of the first things out of his mouth before we even got started was if you want to watch a sword fight in popular culture and mm -hmm. media and TV movies and be able to enjoy it, uh -huh. this is your last chance. Leave now. <laughs> Leave now or forever hold your peace. Right. And this goes for a bit. We get a punch and a headbutt. Things that would actually happen during a bind, but they're not fight ending. A bind is when the two swords clash. Mm -hmm. This is uh, this is called the bind. It's when the swords bite together. Yeah. So when a sharp blade hits a sharp blade, they actually get stuck together. Oh, okay. Now you can remove them, right? You know, like sure. you can Yank pull out back, and right. do more stuff. But especially when you've got swords that look like they're this over-exaggeratedly heavy, that's going to be a heavy bite. And that bind is going to be a whole thing. If a sword fight doesn't end at first bind, especially given the skill level both of these sword fighters purport themselves to be at, uh -huh. everyone is fucked up. Yeah. 
both people in this sword fight have have fucked up if a fight does not end on the first bind you you hit a bind you kill the other dude it happens then every time the first time it happens it's that's that's when a fight ends 95 percent of the time now you might be able to save yourself and retreat if you're very skilled and the other person isn't but if sword fighters of equal skill will almost always either kill each other or one of them will die when you hit that first bind i take this as uh one of a few signs in this fight that uh our fighters are older <laughs> yes. and they have not yeah. practiced in a while those were great times, Vier. We were young, proud, fierce. They have not. And they're like, they're both like, oh, you haven't lost a step. Oh, neither of you. And it's just all like, <laughs> oh, no, you're both just fuck ups. This whole thing is intercut with like Sheridan also getting into Sector 14 and, and finding yes. this rift and ejecting the alien from his body in a frozen, like, horror mask of a face. Um, yeah. But, like... Uh, yeah, Sheridan gets fucked up by some tachyons for a minute. Uh-huh. A tale as old as 80s sci-fi. Yeah. When we cut back from Sheridan back to the fight, mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's supposed to have been, but these men are very sweaty and very tired. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, they have been at it. Sword fights do not last this long. Yeah, it looks like Let it's, me tell you. it's supposed to have been a half hour or something. It's very um, uncomfortable. <laughs> I would say if I had to guess the average length of a one hit sword fight, uh, looking at fight ending targets over the course of all of my Hema career, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would probably put it at 35 to 40 seconds. <laughs> Average. Yeah. Yeah. So some much shorter, some much longer for whatever reason. But like actual, like we have started sword fighting, not just the dancing around each other bit, but you have actually, your swords have touched mm-hmm. once that, that is the start of the sword fight. Not long. Yeah. No. <laughs> These guys have been uh, bouncing back and forth for a while. <laughs> Yeah. So as they're getting tired, Londo gets knocked to the ground and, Mm -hmm. you know, Urza stands over him ready to deliver a killing blow, except that he's not going to. And uh, Londo stabs him. Yep. Yep. Londo gets him. Londo, he's practically crying, right? Um, Yeah. As he holds Urza while he dies and he promises to protect Urza's family like his own and just patriarchy strikes again, my man. Like... (laughs) Patriarchy ruins lives. Sheridan talks about his experience with the gas cloud, and Franklin thinks it's just cool. I think he's excited. This is a very honest reaction from Franklin here. He wants to go back and put Sheridan's life back in danger so he can meet the cool alien. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not worried about health and safety of the station at all. Nope. Uh, No, or Sheridan's health and safety, for that matter. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In his quarters... Londo pours himself another Brevari. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought this inter- exchange with Veer was very, very interesting because Veer tells Londo that he had no choice, which is an interesting take for Veer, I think. Mm-hmm. Because Veer, a few episodes back, told Londo there's always a choice. And now he's trying to make Londo feel better mm-hmm. by saying that the choice was taken from him. And Londo does explain that Urza's death was a necessary sacrifice. It was the only way to save his family at this point. Mm-hmm. Because 
part of their dueling society is that, you know, if one person is killed in this duel to the death, the victor has responsibility over their family now. Yeah. And Londo starts to realize that, huh, maybe I did have some choices in that other episode where I said I had no choices. And maybe they were bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> and Veer is ecstatic for this realization. He says, you know, yeah. maybe this is good. Maybe we can make some new choices now. But then again, Londo doubles down and he just says, no, I have no choice now. I'm on this path and I can't do anything about it. Yep. Until the end of the episode. <sighs> just fucking stupid. <sighs> yep, it is. So, Jafar, how do you feel about this episode? Ugh, two, I guess. Yeah. It had its problems. And to be honest, this episode felt like a slog. Mm -hmm. When I watched it for my notes, it took me like three hours to get through this episode yeah. because I would just pause and go do something like every five minutes because it just was not keeping me. It was just like I did not in, I did not have a good time watching this episode. Uh, Sheridan's plot was not well executed. Um, JMS even went on record as saying that it's one of his big regrets from the show. Uh, really? Was how the specifically the B plot in this episode turned out. Huh. He wanted a reason to bring up Anna, though. Mm -hmm. He wanted to remind the audience of Anna, which is the whole why this whole thing happens. Right. Uh, he was like, I thought I might bring these aliens back later. Now that we've kind of had first contact with them, but that never panned out. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we're going to see the Marcab again. Yeah. Yep. The Marcab will be around. Yeah. Man, I agree with you. Like, I had some of the same trouble getting the notes made. And part of that was just my own life being a little chaotic. But the Sheridan plot, it's just not, like, fun for me. Uh, I didn't remember it, as I said in the last episode. Totally slipped my mind. The Londo plot... I think it's important to show that Londo is facing some consequences mm -hmm. from some of those actions he's already taken and, and make him suffer a bit for the horrible things he's done. But yeah, there were just parts of the execution that weren't as fun and it just wasn't as easy to get through as, and now for a word and they're all on our lives. Like it, it just wasn't the same yeah. quality of episode for me. So I think I put this one, I think I'll put it down at a two as well. Okay. Because um, it, it does feel a little below average, right? That's what I'm, number three is average. That's my benchmark. And this one feels a little under that for me. Yeah. But tell us about our next episode. Yeah, next up we've got season two, episode 17, In the Shadow of Zaha Doom. Mm -hmm. Sheridan discovers the amazing truth about his wife's death. And Kosh reveals an ancient secret that threatens the universe. This feels like a big plot time, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And if memory serves, it is. But mm -hmm. I'm not going to watch it till we're back from Vegas, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I might watch it in Vegas, but we'll see. It won't be with notes. That's for sure. I am excited about this one in particular. Mm -hmm. Anytime you bring up Zaha Doom, you know things are happening. And I do yep. now see what you were talking about, about there was a thread that needed to come back in the next episode. Yeah. So I'm glad HBO Max put it in the right order. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, thank you to Jeremy Siegel for our lovely theme music. You can find more of his music at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com. And thank you to Angry Deck Time Machine for our podcast artwork. And you can join our Discord server and the community there. So shoot us an email over at whoareyoub5 at gmail.com. We'll read it in the next mailbag segment. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Yeah.